Mindfulness Mode 265. Anxiety is when the body is taking those emotions and bringing them tight inside the body, right? It's like it's trying to keep them contained like a pressure cooker. So what I do is I slowly take the lid off of the pressure cooker. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, so great to have you with us today. Last time I talked with a person who is talented at understanding how to be creative with your marketing. And she uses creativity in a very mindful way. And on the episode, she talked about where she had gathered those mindfulness thoughts, those mindfulness pieces over the years and put them together to create a way that she could be very mindful in her marketing. So if you get a chance to go back and check out episode 264, it's mindfulnessmode.com slash 264. Today's episode reminds me that when I was a little kid, I used to watch this very short TV show and it was a lot of fun as a child to watch it because the host of the show used to arrange chairs and he used to have different chairs. He would say this armchair for someone and this side chair for someone else. And at the beginning of the show, he used to arrange all of these chairs and he had pets on there too. He had Rusty and he had Jerome. And I think it was Jerome the giraffe, if I remember right. All of this reminds me of today's show where my featured guest talks about the adult chair and it's a concept she created about how to deal with some of her clients who were having difficulties in life having difficulties with depression or getting unstuck removing their masks they were dealing with you know needing to find self-love and not understanding how to discover that my guest uses mindfulness to blend traditional and alternative healing. I think you'll enjoy it, so sit back, relax, and enjoy every minute of today's show. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we are going to have a fascinating discussion today. I have a true expert with me. I have with me today, Michelle Chalfont. And Michelle, it's going to be a lot of fun talking, but first, are you in mindfulness mode today, Michelle? Actually, I am, Bruce. Thank you. That's, that's <laughs> Yes, <terrific>. I am. <laughs> <laughs> that is really a good start. And so I just want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. And this is, this is what I've got. Michelle Chalfont is a life coach and therapist. Her clients hire her to enable them to find their authentic selves through a holistic approach of blending alternative healing techniques with traditional counseling. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Michelle is creator and host of the podcast, The Adult Chair, which is now in its third year of production. So way to go, Michelle, on that. The Adult Chair shares impactful messages about codependency, self-love, depression, getting unstuck, removing masks, and how our understanding of ourselves impacts the most important relationships in our lives. Now, Michelle has also written an ebook, which is available on her website called The Adult Chair as well, which is filled with awesome information. I highly recommend it. So, Michelle, let's talk about mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you? Oh, boy. 
I love mindfulness. Do you? <laughs> I do. I know um, you do just I by do. reading about you and reading your work. <laughs> uh, for me, mindfulness is um, slowing down, really right. being in the body, and not only noticing, it's like noticing everything around me as well as noticing what's going on inside of me, whether it be, you know, emotions or even like physical things that are going on inside of me, whether right. it be a knot in my stomach or a knot in my throat. And like, and the cherry on the Sunday is when I'm really, really, really mindful. I feel like we are connecting to something even bigger than ourselves. Like it's just this whole really beautiful experience. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, totally about connecting with something bigger. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Well, you do a lot of work on self-love and you've got this model you developed called the adult chair. And I've read a bit about how you developed the model, but maybe you could share with Mindful Tribe about how you developed that model and what that's really about. Oh, boy. We only have like an hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this would have okay. to be the real quick version. Okay, this is a really, really, really quick version. Um, basically, I grew up, I think like most of us, we have some level of dysfunction in our lives, whether it be, you know, horrific abuse, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah. I hate to hear that with anybody, yes. to just maybe mild dysfunction where you might not have gotten hugs or you didn't hear I love you. So I grew up somewhere in the middle. Right. And I had... Um, I grew up in an, an Italian family, so we're all very enmeshed. Right. We're all in everybody else's business. Right. And I grew up as a result of my family. There was a lot of drinking. Um, and when I say family, I'm not just talking about mom and dad. I'm talking about, you know, aunts, uncles, grandmother, you know, everybody is together and enmeshed and drinking and all of this. So I grew up with a lot of codependency um, as an adult child of an alcoholic. I found all these things out, of course, as I went on with my journey Sure. Um, and was really anxious and depressed. And again, going through it in high school, I might not have even said that that's what was going on with me. But looking back on it, getting a master's in counseling and going on with my life, I realized, wow, I've, I've been anxious. I had no idea what that was. I was right. not mindful back then, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely yes. was not mindful. I was masking my problems. I was doing everything I could to shove the pain down. So my passion, my whole life since I was a young child even, has been really a spiritual seeker. And then also, I was very much intrigued with counseling and psychology. And I wanted to help myself because I said, I don't think, again, Probably in my mid-20s, I realized, in reading a lot of books, because we did not have Google back then. No. That was in the 80s. <laughs> so uh, there was no Google. So I Hard to imagine, isn't it? Yeah, we had a whole library. <laughs> a lot of the younger people have no idea what that is. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I had to figure out, you know, I was drawn to understanding what is going on within me. Mm. And really what I, I found out was that I didn't love myself and I didn't know how, and I didn't get the validation that I needed growing up. There was then, of course, the, anx the anxiety, the depression, the low self-esteem, all these things were going on. So that became a mission of mine. So after getting my master's and I started a private practice in counseling, I just never stopped. I had this like huge yearning and desire to find out the perfect quote unquote, like technique, the perfect, whatever the perfect was. Mm -hmm. And there isn't, just one. But I have to say, mindfulness is pretty darn close. I have to say it's a big, big part of the model that I that I have. Um, but anyway, so I went on and probably 20 years of taking every certification, every class, reading books, everything I could possibly do. And I realized I'm still still feeling, of course, I was healing along the way, but not where I wanted to be. I'm like, I still something's still not right. So when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, about 10 years ago, 
um, I came across another mentor that lives here and signed up for her course. And it was a four year, really intensive, personal, really personal growth kind of thing. Right. And, um, what I realized there is I took all of this really headspace learning that I had and yes. integrated it into my body, you know, and I became what I knew, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it was does. really, really in integrated. So in that class is when I started realizing, okay, hold on, I'm feeling much better. This is, this is what I've been looking for. And in that class, she used this term one day we were doing some work, some experiential work, and it was called the adult chair. She says, okay, go and sit in your adult chairs, a lot of work with chairs. And it was like lightning went through me. I go, I love that term. And of course, with her blessing, I said, I'm going to take everything I've learned for 20 some years and take that term and some of what she taught me and, and combine it into what I now call the adult chair. So the adult chair is this model that um, then I started using with clients and it just started transforming people. <laughs> I said, this is crazy, you know, and then it became a book and a podcast and all these other things. But um, it's a model that takes us down a timeline of really childhood. So zero to six would be the child chair. There's three. It's based in three chairs. So the child chair is zero to six. We learn about feelings and true emotions, which we're not good at feeling, um, spontaneity, passion, creativity, fun. And then we move into what's called the adolescent chair or pre-adolescent chair, which is, um, age seven to about 25. And that is where we learn all about the ego. So that's where we learn to not live in the moment, but to live in the past and the future because we're based in fear at that point. So we've got to take care of ourselves. We learn there about perfectionism and controlling and, codependency and addiction and all of these things happen in that chair. And then if we had healthy parents and someone that could model for us what healthy looks like, we then very naturally slide into what I call the adult chair around 25 to 30. The problem is most of us don't know how to do that really well. Especially at 25. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wow. 25. That's amazing. If you can move on at 25 into that. Yeah that really high place, right? That mind yes. place. So, so the adult chair is when we're living there, we're, we're connected to consciousness, which is versus unconsciousness in that adolescent chair. We are very mindful. I mean, mindfulness is the key aspect to this chair. Um, I'm mindful. I'm living in the moment. I live with fact and truth versus story and assumption in the adolescent chair, right? right. Um, I'm living with compassion for myself and others. I live with boundaries. Um, and, and I don't know that I'm not sitting there unless I'm mindful. <laughs> so right, of course. Mindfulness is key. I, ha- I don't know where I am unless I'm mindful about which chair I happen to be sitting in in that moment. So the, 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 the model is based, of course, on metaphors of where am I sitting. In sure. my office, I actually use chairs. And in workshops, I use chairs. But um, yeah, so that's the whole model and how I got here. So Michelle, we can basically be sitting in any one of those chairs at any time. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yes. And when we're in our adult chair, we actually connect to both other chairs. So we connect to the child chair. So from my adult, I'm connecting with what I feel, what am I knowing, um, what, am, what are my needs. And then the adolescent chair, of course, is all about logic and what's in my mind. So in my adult, the thing is, is when I'm in, in my adult, I don't buy into what the adolescent is saying to me. Right. I'm observing it. I'm witnessing it. I go, thank you. But this is what I'm going to choose. And I can choose the highest perspective because I'm connected into that conscious space. Well, let's have some fun. Let's go back to the child chair. That's where all the fun happens, all the feelings, all the play. Okay. So what were you like when you were that age, when you were like six years old? What was that? What do you remember? Yeah. Tell us a story about life at that time when you were really enjoying it, having fun. Can you share a little story? Gosh, I remember um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, we lived in the summers on, at a lake and, um, on a, and we had a lake house. So we would go there every summer, the whole summer. So I had right. tons of fun. And I really do remember so much fun. But again, going through it, I remember there was some fighting going on around me. There was some drinking going around me. There was, my uncle was kind of abusive toward my mother. And that made me really upset inside. So there was so much joy with the lake. I have, you know, I skied and sailed and swam all day. What kid wouldn't have fun? But then going inside was a different story. Not that it was physically abusive. There was just a lot of emotional unsettledness and and more emotional abuse that I witnessed around me. So there was kind of a mixed bag, I have to say, for me growing up. But it was a a heck of a lot of fun. There's no doubt about that. Right. Well, that's great. That's great. And then you moved on or we move on into the adolescent chair. And so let's talk about that. I know that drinking was such a big part of your your life, like the life around you, the adults yeah. and so on. And so that's probably still uh, an important role. I mean, whether you whether you block that out, whether you make the choices about not having that in your life, where is that taking you? Well, in my teenage years, what happened was I remember being 12 years old and that's the key with this adolescent share. It's interesting when we sit there and we reside there and our energy is right. there, right. we, we, we react versus responding from the adult chair. We react from the emotional intelligence of about a 12 year old kid. Oh, so okay. the choices that we make from that adolescent. So even if I'm 50 years old, I'm making a choice from that part of me that feels like she's about 12. Anyway, um, so when I was in my adolescent chair and learning about that chair, um, I began taking care of my mom, I remember, because my uncle was drinking all the time and really verbally abusive to my mom. So I remember going to her, even younger, right around six or seven, saying, why is, why is, why is he so mean to you, mom? Nobody stands up for you. Right. So I had to step in and start taking care of There's the codependency. So right. I started taking care of her. So I did all of that. And it was a lot of weight on me, you know, and, and the, the brother of my father that was doing this was his twin brother. So it added another layer. So my dad never stood up because he felt guilty. He, he, was, he was always caught in the middle, he used to say, which he really wasn't because he should have st- stood up for my mom. But at any rate, so what happened with me was I had so much... I think back about, you know, when I think about this show and being mindful, I remember Bruce feeling knots in my stomach, lumps in, like knots in my throat, wanting to speak. And I would say something to my people, the people, my mom and my dad, and no one ever solved my problems. Like no one ever said anything to me about it. So it was swept under the carpet. Right. There's nothing ever changed. So I realized what I did then by the time I was 16, I became, there's so much anger inside of me the uncle that was abusing my mom was a rager. So guess who became a rager? Me. Ah, okay. <laughs> I became this rager and I drank a lot. And that was, I just was a big partier in high school. And um, yeah, so I used what was around me when I was growing up. Right. Amazing. Um, and it wasn't until probably like my mid twenties, I would say, I just kind of stopped. When The more I healed, the less I wanted. I, I hardly drink now. I mm-hmm. don't, obviously, I don't have rage anymore. Like that's all right. gone. I've done so much work on myself or with myself. But um, yeah, I, I found that as a teenager, not having any other options, it was like, I have to numb myself out. What else am I supposed right. to do? There was no so, other option, you know? So back at that time in your adolescent years, which was greater, fear or anger? Anger. 
Right. Yeah, right away when you asked me that question. It's like, That's yeah, what I thought sure. you would say based yeah. on, on what you've said and what I've read about you. Just so much anger. And wow. then you, as you moved on, then you learned eventually how to deal with that anger. And how did you do that? Um, well, I had, for sure, I had therapy. And like I said, I mean, even when I, well, I was being certified as, as a therapist, we have to take courses and classes and a right. lot of the weekend or week-long intensives, we're doing our own work. Right. Sure. <laughs> I remember beating on a, what's it called, um, using that Bataka bat thing. Have you seen those big giant square foam things? Like as yes. simple as I am. I beat the crap out of this thing this one time and it was this big experiential course. It was a week-long thing I did a few years ago. It was the most like, oh my gosh, like releasing of energy and anger I've ever had in my whole life. It was absolutely incredible. But I got it out. Like, I don't, I don't really get that angry anymore. Like, you know, I'm human. I'll have angry moments, but not like mm -hmm. in high school. Like in high school and even in college, not as much even in college. It started fading a little bit then. But um, yeah, um, I had a lot of anger back then for sure. But doing therapy and I love experiential work. Right. I think, and I do that with my clients now, you know, we can sit and talk about your anger, let's say, but to get up out of the chair, like in my office, I'll have people get up and show me what does that look like? What, whether it's anger or sadness or fear, you know, I have all kinds of props. And I think when we can show people what we're experiencing, right. it changes everything. And plus meditation, I have to tell you, it changes, as you know, it changes the brain. Yeah, it really does. So I've meditated for years and I love meditation. How long do you meditate every day, Michelle? I do my very best to get at least 20 minutes in every day. Yeah, me too. I always meditate for 20 minutes first thing yeah. in the morning. Me too, me too. I do my journaling and then I sit and I meditate for 20 minutes. And, you know, if I need it later on throughout the day, I do that as well. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it just, you know, it brings us back to balance and back to center and it changes the brain. So yeah. I can't say that it was one technique that actually got me, uh, you know, and healed me from my anger. But, um yeah. Yeah. It's so, just, you know, happened over time. So then moving into the adult uh, space, how many of a, how many adults never reach that, do you think? I think about, <laughs> I would say most of us don't re reach that place. And we sit in that adult chair very little throughout the day. And I think you know what I mean when we are, really when we're not being mindful. Like I, I, was, I was saying this the other day, um, you know, I got up, I showered, I fed the dogs. I was in a pleasant mood. I was not in a bad right. mood. But I realized I did all that, and I was like, I don't even remember showering. Right. right. So we're really not in the body. So we're not yeah. in the adult chair. So being in the adult chair is not this airy-fairy space by any means. Um, and, the, and the adolescent chair doesn't mean we're angry. It just means I'm not fully in my body. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I didn't even... You know, I, I know, and I noticed the next day I said, I'm going to do tomorrow differently. I'm going to really be in my body and be really mindful of every single thing I'm doing. And I felt the water hit my body when I showered and I went in and got the, um, the dog food and let it hit the bowl. You know, it was, it was like, ting, 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 ting. And I was like, this is so cool. It's like so in the moment, right? And yeah, um, yeah. that's in the adult versus the adolescent, which are just sort of coasting and kind of like robots. So yeah. when you spend time in the adult chair like that, noticing so many uh, sensations and, and visual uh, cues and everything, do you find that tiring? Like at uh -oh. the end of the day, is that tiring? No. Is it energizing? Um, you know what word comes to me, Bruce, is just what is peaceful. It? It's just, uh. no, it's not, it's not energizing or draining. It's like, just feels good. It's neither. It's. Um, not that I lack energy. I mm -hmm. just feel good. 
Um, because I think we're, when we connect to that bigger part of us, it's like gas for the car, you know, it's like you just kind of keep going and going and going and you don't feel like you ever have to stop. I can stay up later. I just feel better, I guess, in that place. And so how does physical activity work with this? Like, I'm sure that's something that you have in your life. Is it, does it play a role in one of these chairs? Physical activity? Well, the adolescent doesn't like to meditate or go for a walk or do yoga. Okay. <laughs> She'd right. rather do anything but that, you know? Yeah. So when I'm in my adult, I'm like, yeah, you know, I love how my body feels when I'm done. And I love how I feel when I walk. And I'm going to do yoga because I feel fantastic when I'm done. Right. So we're going to go ahead and do it today. However, you know, and a big part of this, this model is listening to those parts of us that are chiming in. They just want to be heard. You know, okay. we have a cast of thousands inside of us. So yeah. if a part of me comes in and says, well, I don't want to do the yoga, and I'll say, okay, well, tell, tell me more about that. And I listen. We've got to listen to those voices that are coming up. And then I'll say, okay, I hear you. We're just going to do a 20-minute routine, and then we're going to be done. Oh, okay, done. And then the voice goes away. So it's a really listening to all of our parts because we're, we we're so complex. And, um, yeah, so when I'm in my adult, I'm really aware of all those different parts, and I talk to them, and, yeah. Everything oh, starts to change. Yeah. That's really And I cool. do the yoga <laughs> and the meditation. Yeah. yeah. And that really, that really helps you then that yoga and meditation part of it, obviously. For sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and how does nature play a role? Do you like oh, to get out into nature? That's heavenly for me. Yeah. I love, in fact, it's getting colder and um, don't laugh because I'm in Tennessee now. So right. it's not like I used to be in Rochester you know, yeah. up in New yes. York near Buffalo where it snows all the time. Yes. So this is just chillier and I'm not used to the cold anymore. So, yeah. uh, but I love being outside. That is absolutely when I feel really just like merged in with the oneness. I love walking in parks and my favorite thing is to walk in the morning, like right when the sun's coming up. Mm-hmm. So I'll get up at 630, or excuse me, at 530 to six and then I walk. So it's whisper quiet. It's like me and the trees and the crickets. <laughs> and <laughs> you're in the fun. adult chair at that time. Yeah. Well, here's what's really interesting is I walk every morning at that time. I love to walk at that time. And it is. It's like I'm in this oneness space and I'm merged. It feels like I'm merging in like with the trees and I hear everything. There's no lawnmowers at 536 in the morning. That's why I don't no. like them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um what I notice is like a couple of times I'm like, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so. So I'll bring my phone and I'll talk the whole time and I'll come home and I'm like, I don't even remember walking. Right. So that's the adolescent chair walk. That's yeah. me and my adolescent walking versus my yeah. adult. And it's not mindful. And it's sort of like I was, again, a robot, like unconsciously walking the whole time. So I got my exercise in, but I didn't like my mind and my body didn't feel the effects of being in nature and noticing that quiet. And, you know, when the sun comes up, like the sun hits my face and the breeze is on my face, like I miss all that. I think as humans, we just miss it. You know, when people go for runs with their, with their, with their earphones and, you know, we're missing the moment. We sure are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if we make a conscious decision, oh, I want to listen to that podcast or I want to listen to something else, you know, that's fine. But you're right. You're right. You're really not choosing mindfulness. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not, you know, there's times when certainly I'll I'll go for a walk. But I, again, for my adult, I'll say, I know I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to miss most of the walks. I'm going to have, you know, talk to this girl on the phone or a client I have to call back or whatever. And then... I'm going to miss it. And it's okay. I'm choosing it. It's out of choice versus out of like, whoops. Yeah. Like, like a a default. 
So. Well, I've, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I want to talk to you about bullying and how that mm-hmm. fits into this. And, you know, do we get sort of pushed into the one of the chairs and unable to move on if we are bullied? Do you have a, a story yourself that you can share with us, Michelle? You know, I was thinking about you this morning because I know that that is what you do. And I was like, what, you know, with bullying, I'm like, I wonder, do I know of anyone that was ever bullied personally? And it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, my God, I was bullied. Okay. (laughs) I never even became aware of it until today. I really didn't. And I think what happened, and I'm glad I just kind of shared with you a little bit about my mom and my uncle. So I witnessed that for many years, right? My whole life. Honestly, it was my whole 18 years of living at home. And... When I was a little girl, I was probably third or fourth grade. I remember getting, I went to a Catholic school. So we had the little uniforms, the little skirts, right? And then, you know, the uniforms. And I I used to get off the bus and this boy used to flip my skirt up every day. And I'd be so horrified and embarrassed. And I have to walk by me, flip my skirt. And I'd say, stop flipping my skirt. You know, he's like, no. And he'd, you know, make fun of me and whatever he'd say. And then he started putting his clarinet grease in my hair. Oh. And he put it in my hair and I remember coming home and I remember I had to be like nine or 10, maybe I was so young, right. feeling defeated and sad and there's no hope, you know, no one's helping me. Now, mind you, you know, I, it was interesting because I had friends at school, but there's this one boy that used to do this to me every day. And, um, I remember just feeling awful. And I came home one day, I remember looking at the steak knives going, Maybe I should just kill myself because I'm not going to be able to handle this. And I was like, whoa. I remember thinking that thought going, no, I'm not going to kill myself. But I mean, I think about the children of today. Right. Like, is that their only option? Like, wow, I'm bullied. And I know, anyway, that's a whole other story. But so I, I, I obviously am still here. So I kept going to school. And then what I started doing, which is interesting, is I started bullying a little girl on the bus that was really, really, really quiet didn't say anything. She whispered when she spoke, she was so quiet. And I would not have called it, call it bullying until t- today, honestly. And right. I used to get, sit next to her on the bus and I go, why aren't you louder? What's wrong with you? You're so quiet, blah, blah, blah. Talk louder. Nobody likes you. But I think I was doing that as a reaction to what this kid was doing to me, to what my uncle was doing to my mom. Like it was a- like a domino effect, right? Yes, it is. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So I, again, thank you because of your show. I was like, I think I was bullied and I bullied, which I would have never said that until today. That is really interesting. And so, so how did this evolve? So whatever happened with that boy, how did, did it just stop or what? Um, as we got older. Yeah. I mean, I think it went on for like the whole school year. Mm. And I remember telling my mom and my dad, they're like, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, they kind of, it's again, we sweep everything under the carpet yeah, when I was, yeah. oh, it'll be fine. Or should I, you know, and it, okay. It didn't, so I think it ended like at the end of that year. And of course I stopped bullying this girl, but, um, yeah, it just sort of ended. And then I ended up switching schools like in sixth grade. So it was over for sure. But I asked him years later, I, I bumped into him like 10 or 12, 10 or, 10 or 20 years ago. And I said, you know, what was that about? Why did you put clarinet grease in my hair? And he started laughing. He's like, I had a crush on you. Okay. I'm like, well, it didn't feel that way. No, (laughs) no, I bet it didn't. Right? It was that nice. And he said, well, I really just liked you. I wanted your attention. But it was mean. It was Mm -hmm. really, really mean. So, and all because all the kids would laugh when he'd flip my skirt and my underwear would show. So I started wearing shorts under my skirt, but everyone would laugh, which was horrifying to this little girl, you know, getting off the bus. So, and back then, believe it or not, I was so shy. I didn't even really talk to anybody until I was six or seven. 
So then I had this flip that happened when I'm raging at this little girl and I'm like, what am I looking back? I'm like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? Right. It's not me, you know, but it was at the time with this mm-hmm. one little girl who appeared weak to me, like right. my mom. Right. Right. It's fascinating how bullying happens with these kids. It really is fascinating. Myself included. Yeah. Like, that's that's a very interesting story, yes, and I've I've read so much about you, but yeah, as you said, I haven't read that story because you've you've never shared it before from the sounds of it. Know. I didn't even know until today. Yeah. Wow. So crazy. Well, you know, there's so much to talk about when it comes to self-love and and relieving ourselves of anxiety and these movements toward depression. I mean, it's just really sad that so much of the world is there, but you are able to help people. You are able to lift people up through this. And how long does it usually take? Is it just all over the map? It depends on the person, I would assume. Mm-hmm. It really does depend on the person. And one of the things that is key, what that I have found in, in all these years of using the adult chair with people is we don't know how to feel our emotions. Right. So what I do with my clients is I help them to connect to their inner child. The inner child is the container for our, our true feelings or emotions and true needs. So I have created, I have guided, um, guided meditations on my website and on, on, on YouTube where I actually have, um, a guided meditation that walks people through connecting with that inner child. So I'll have them listen to that and then they'll come into my office and we'll sit and I'll say, okay, so how did that make you feel? And and it's amazing to me how many people say, well, what do you mean? How did it make me feel? <laughs> like, well, right. They don't know. They yeah, don't know what, so they, how it feels. If they're anxious or if they're depressed, in my opinion, this is my opinion on anxiety. Anxiety is not an emotion. It's a physical response to unfelt feelings. Ah. Uh. It's not, it's not an emotion. It's that it's, it's a physical response to not feeling those emotions. So people, I'll ask people, so you have anxiety, they'll come in, they'll sit down, they'll say, so I have anxiety. I'll say, well, what is that? What is that like for you? What does that mean? Well, it's an emotion. I have anxiety. I'm like, well, what, what does that feel like in your body? And you know, I've had anxiety and they'll say, I know what it feels like. I mean, for me at least, and they'll say, um, knots in their stomach, tension in their heart, rapid heart rate, you know, all of Mm -hmm. these kinds of things. I'll say, okay, so drop deeper inside of yourself and I'll do like a guided something with them. And and I'll say, what emotion is sitting inside of you? What is a, what emotion? And they eventually will go, oh my God, I had no idea that was in there. Right. So we kind of drop deep and I help them to feel their emotions. And once we start bringing these emotions, well, we bring them out by feeling them and touching them. Once we start bringing them out and through guess what happens to the anxiety? There's nothing. The body is, anxiety is when the body is taking those emotions and bringing them tight inside the body, right? It's like, it's trying to keep them contained like a pressure cooker. So what I do is I slowly take the lid off of the pressure cooker very slowly. It's not like every emotion comes out all in one day, but the more we can take the lid off and let these emotions, and I teach people, how do you feel these emotions? Sometimes people don't, can't say, well, I feel unlovable or I feel like I don't matter. I feel unworthy. They might say, I don't know what I feel, but I've got such a pit in my stomach. I'll say, well, let's sit with that pit in your stomach. It's a lot of mindfulness. I mean, it's like, okay, well, let's just pay attention to that knot in your stomach and watch it. What happens when we just observe it? And what happens is it starts to move and then poof, it's gone. And then they don't feel so anxious anymore. I can't tell you how many people look at me and say, oh my God, how did that happen? I'm not anxious anymore. I'm like, you just sat with yourself, right? Right. And depression right. works the same way. I mean, when, like me, 
nobody was there for me growing up. I, I went and would tell my parents about, you know, why is so-and-so doing this in our house? Why did so-and-so yell at mom? And they'd say, don't worry about it. You know, he was just drunk. It's okay. So I'm still feeling very unsettled inside. So I just kept shoving all those emotions out because no one was going to listen to me anyway. Right. And so, of course, by the time I'm 16, 17, I'm drinking more and I'm just doing anything I can to not feel so bad inside. That's depression. Right. By the time I was 20, I was really depressed, but nobody knew it. I was what they call, I read articles on this, a um, functional depression, I think is what it's called, where I, I had friends, I'm college, good grades, the whole bit, but man, I felt like crap inside. I was really, really wow. sad. So until I learned how to feel my emotions... I mean, when I learned how to feel my emotions, that's when everything started to change. So that's what I do with my clients. But getting in touch with that, the adult connects to the inner child is key. The adolescent part of us, which is the ego, that, that logical part that says, okay, so you're feeling really bad, go have chocolate cake. Right. You're feeling really bad, go have a glass of wine. Go watch TV, go have sex, go gamble. I mean, that's, again, the 12-year-old mentality trying to figure out why is there all this disruption energetically going on in my body? These emotions are coming up. I don't know what to do with the emotions. The adolescent part of us does not know, know, does not know what to do with the child. So it tries to push it away and shut it down. So that's why we need our adult to come in and go, I'm choosing to feel these emotions. Otherwise, we don't know. We don't do it. That really makes it clear yeah. what those three stages are like. And I love your analogy to the pressure cooker. That yeah. really that really makes it clear how, you know, we're just feeling that. It's all pushed inside of us. It's jammed in there. And we're like, oh, this is yeah. a terrible feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love this. Well, I want to move on as we move toward the end of our interview. And I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Michelle. And the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Ooh, okay. This is a little bit funny. I went to see John Kabat-Zinn yes. about 15 plus years ago and I fell asleep. Oh, <laughs> well, his voice, I can understand Oh that. my God. I was like, I can't even keep awake. I realized I was so not mindful. I was in my adolescent chair and it was giving me anxiety to, to slow down that much because okay. so much was coming up, right? Right. So, but he absolutely... Um, that wherever you go, there you are. So, I mean, right. yeah. So, and then right after him, I had a mentor probably two years later that his assignment for me one day was, he said, I want you to go home. I want you to spend an hour a day in your backyard sitting. And I said, and doing what? He goes, nothing. And I said, well, what, what do you want me to do? He goes, I want you to do nothing. And it was, I didn't know back then, but it was an, an, a, an exercise in mindfulness. And then I had to like really look at, I remember looking at the grass, looking at all the insects. Look, I counted like, something crazy, like 300 spiders in the hour. And I was like, wow. I never knew all this was happening around me. And that was obviously back then. So it was yeah. mindfulness, but I didn't know what it was. Wow, that's a cool exercise. Well, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? You've talked quite a bit about emotions, but maybe we can sum it up in 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, mindfulness has helped me with my emotions, just really getting in touch with what's going on inside of me. I know now to sure. slow down and tune in. And tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Oh, yes. I mean, taking a slow, deep breath just brings me back into present, brings me back into my body so I know what I'm feeling again. I know right. where I am. I know what's going on around me. So breath has been huge, huge. Well, if you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? 
I think I would go right back to the book I just said, that wherever right. you go, there you are. I mean, that just, I remember buying that years ago, and that started me for sure on my journey. Yeah, it's an amazing book. It's it such really a is. great book. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great well, book. Can you share an app which helps you Ooh. or some of your clients be more mindful? I um, I love, in fact, I was just going to share this on Facebook um, today on my fan page. I love, have you heard of that new Insight Timer? I do know Insight Timer. I have some uh, meditations on there. I do too. My my assistant just put put a few up there and I started using that. So I started using that now every day, every oh. morning. I like those, they have those singing bowls that go. Yes, it's I beautiful. do too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I use that now when I start my morning, my morning meditation and to end it, it goes bong, bong. I love it. So that one is great. And they have, a, a, you know, like. How many meditations on there? Tens of thousands. I mean, yeah, thousands tons. and thousands. But you know what else was really good? I remember. You remember the Heart Math app? Yes, yes. That's great for mindfulness too. I used to have that. Didn't we clip that thing to the ear and you could just tell what was going on inside of you? That was great. I remember right. that too. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I'll put all of this in our show notes. Mindfulnessmode.com. Check it out. Check out the show notes. Michelle, this has really been a fantastically valuable and fun talk, too. And just tell us, how can Mindful Tribe connect with you? And I mentioned your ebook already, but you tell us. Yeah, um, I would say go to, to the adult chair. Dot com And then that puts you right into my website on the podcast page. So I do this podcast. Most people tell me it's like getting free counseling. I have people all around the world that email me and they're like, I get free counseling every week. Thank you so much. So <laughs> yeah. that would be something as well as, um, yeah. So if you go there, then you can get at, you can have access to my whole website. I have a YouTube channel under Michelle Shelfont with all my meditations. I have a lot of different guided meditations, um, who people really love. And of course I have Facebook. I have a fan page and then I have a closed group for people that want to go a little bit deeper and they can get mm -hmm. more vulnerable with um, the adult chair closed group. And you can join that through my website as well. Oh, terrific. Well, this has been like a, a counseling session. This has been so valuable. And, and, you know, just seeing you, you're so vibrant. You, you seem so relaxed and so open to share all this. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners do. I thank you so much, Michelle, for being with us today on Mindfulness Mode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been really, really fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.